This is the On Conflict Podcast. Deep conversations that will transform your relationship with conflict. Season 2, a focus on leadership. And now, your hosts, Julia Menard and Gordon White. Welcome to the On Conflict Riffcast. I'm Julia Menard. And I'm Gordon White. And today, we're going to riff on our interview with Cindy Noble, who has made a huge contribution to conflict coaching in the world, created our own model, taken it into management practices, and, and promoted it inside organizations in a large variety of ways, learned a great deal about it, and passed on a fair bit of that learning to us in our interview of her, which would be the immediately previous podcast, if you're interested. Mm -hmm. Yes. And it was a really enriching conversation. So if you have an interest at all in organizations, conflict, coaching, mediating, tune into that episode. Today's episode, we are riffing and for us, that means taking some time to reflect on what we learned in the conversation with Cindy and to share with you some of our own reflections from our own lens about what struck us or what we might want to talk a bit more about. I think what we noticed in speaking about it afterwards is that we could take some of the things we learned from Cindy and sort of link them to a model that we've created for difficult conversations. And we're going to link it specifically to the first three steps of our model, which are? Well, before we share what they are, I just wanted to insert something. If that's okay. Please. Yeah. Please. The thing I wanted to insert is that um, I think part of our reflections, Gordon, was that, uh, you know, Cindy is very focused on conflict coaching on this capacity to help people either make sense of and then not go forward with a conversation and or make sense of and prepare for a difficult conversation. Mm -hmm. And I think the link that we made is the reason we chose to focus on the three steps of our model. It's because in our model, we offer the first three steps are around preparing. And the next steps in our model is around how to engage how to actually navigate the conversation. So there's a certain logic, I think, that we, we realize that the reason we're choosing these first three steps of our model to riff on Cindy's information is because we're also talking about, in a way, how to coach yourself in those three, first three steps. Or if somebody wants to coach, they could also refer to the, these three things we're going to talk about. I'd like to mention something a little off to the side here, which is uh, to do with the way coaching is arising in our work together. And even recently, it's been thematically arising, but recently we've had a couple of examples of that. And so I just want to mention one of them. Yes. Because we were contacted within the last couple of weeks by an organization that had a conflict between a number of people in that organization. And we were contacted by the kind of equivalent CEO, although not exactly, but for this conversation, that's good enough understanding. And we can really, in speaking with her, we converted the first part of our work to essentially coaching her in how to deal with the, the uh, conflict in her organization, right? So this is definitely a trend in our work is to empowering leaders to deal with things more effectively themselves rather than us coming in and dealing with it. I think this is really key, Gordon. I'm glad that you brought it up because I think it's actually a shift in even in how you and I are 
conceiving of the kind of work that we do. You know, traditionally, we've been called in either to do a training, which we've come to discover, oh, there's often something driving that perceived need for training. And when we dig around, we've often found conflict underneath the need for training. And then it's been like, oh, okay, well, you know, we can help you resolve that conflict. And then in the last couple of years, and certainly most recently, when we've been doing more intense work together, we've been noticing together that, oh, okay, so you as a leader might be thinking mediations required or some outside intervention, but can we help you engage with that issue so that you feel more empowered? And when we walk away, we're not just dealing with this one crisis or this one forest fire, but we're helping you strengthen your own infrastructure, not only your own personal capacity, but also there may be things you discover in your conflict management system within your organization. So it's really exciting times for us in terms of um, moving towards helping organizations be and leaders be more self-sufficient. Yeah. And just for uh, also for listeners benefit, I'm just going to mention another organization that we're doing work for right now, just to flush out the picture a little bit of the kind of things that we do. Yes. Because coaching the senior leadership is certainly one part of it. But for this organization, we also, you and I coached two particular individuals in that organization who had a conflict. We also then did a facilitated conversation between one of those individuals and the senior leadership. And we also were assisting, if you like, coaching one of those senior people how to re-deliver training that we had delivered to them. So it's kind of a whole, I'm trying to think of a good word, but it's not coming up, but cornucopia is the thing I'm thinking of, of uh, different ways of working with conflict. And overall, our intention, I think, with them, because we've partnered with them, is to develop a more conflict-competent culture. Yeah, that's the second organization you're talking about. Yes, that's yeah. the second one. Yeah. As a matter of fact, as you say that, Gordon, I think about this first organization that we've been involved with more recently, I'm realizing that I think that's the ultimate aim. Mm-hmm. you know, for any of them. And, and I think, um, well, you certainly know, but I, I've been involved in a collaborative called restorative solutions for quite a few years and with some other senior conflict management leaders in our field. And it's a place that we got to as well around the importance of embracing a conflict competent culture or a collaborative culture. You know, there are different ways of referring to it, but I know for me, my dream, which is a, a word Cindy used a few times in her interview, but my dream would be to see a conflict competent or a collaborative political culture, a conflict competent, a collaborative world culture. I mean, those would be, to me, the ultimate extension of the things that we see in, in miniature in our work. That's part of the reason we do the podcast, right? So that we could have conversations that were a little bigger than the organizational level that we have normally been working. Yeah. And at the same time, it's been quite wonderful to see, you know, how you do anything is how you do everything or so the micro as the macro that there have been applications. So um, maybe that's a good segue into the three steps that we talk about in our model and how we were um, impacted by some of what Cindy spoke about in her interview. Yeah. So we have an eight step model, right? And the first three steps are preparatory steps, preparation for engagement, And the first one is? Find your motivation. Find your motivation, because if you're not motivated to have the conversation, it's not going to happen. Do we want to name the other two before we go deeper into Sure. Yeah. Okay. Build build your power. Build your power. And then set it up well. 
So we're going to backtrack now to that first step that we recommend when you're preparing mm -hmm. for a difficult conversation, find your motivation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Cindy in her interview talked about how many of the leaders she's come across are avoiders and avoiders of conflict. Sorry, sorry, avoiders of conflict. And that that statement or that way of being actually impacts the culture. And because it's tacitly accepted to not have to deal with conflict, that things can add up and lead to problems down the road, like harassment and bullying, for, you know, higher harassment and bullying complaints. Um, and then that it might be when things are dealt with because they have to be dealt with as opposed to being more proactive. She also said that in her experience, the leaders of those organizations have trouble drawing a link between the fact that they're dealing with perhaps a bullying complaint and their own lack of inclination to engage in conflicts that either they're personally having or that they see others in the groups that they're responsible or having. Mm -hmm. And so that's an important place for motivation to change, right? Amongst leaders to become conscious of the damaging potentially damaging consequences of not dealing with it down the line. And she talked about doing a cost analysis is one of the ways to help leaders open their eyes a bit, right? How much are they spending on, say, a bullying investigation? How much lost time to stress, leave, or maybe less than 100% productivity? Maybe it's 85% because people are thrown off a bit by a conflict on their team. All those things can be talked about and, quant and essentially either quantified or estimated. And you come up with some pretty big figures quite quickly sometimes. So, so that's one way to, to get, a, to get a, someone to think about it differently. Right? Yeah, and to try to find their motivation for dealing with it. There's another piece I enjoyed in terms of what Cindy was saying to, and, you know, for us to take uh, somewhere as well. And that's that idea of leaders asking themselves and asking the people that they lead, where do people notice the pinch points? Where do people notice the pain points? So it might not, uh, may not have gone all the way to a bullying and harassment complaint. Or it might never go that far, actually. It might remain underground the whole time. But if people can get more conscious about where are the tensions, that also helps leaders think more about how can I be proactive? Because finding your motivation is about being proactive because it is, in a sense, easy to avoid conflict, it seems like it's easy because there doesn't seem to be any inherent cause and effect. There doesn't seem to be any impact. If I just ignore this, there doesn't seem to be a problem here. Yet, I know one of the things you've been big on, Gord, and I know you wrote a blog post about it in the conflict journey, but that is the um, leaders really finding within themselves, it's almost like an ethical or moral journey, but what is my responsibility when it comes to conflict? How responsible do I see myself? And, you know, people may situate themselves differently on the continuum. But I remember an interview we did with Elton Simois was in season two, if people are interested in that interview. But he quoted a, a section or a line from A Bug's Life, the cartoon movie A Bug's Life. 
Do you remember when he said, and I, I haven't seen the movie, so there's a grasshopper involved in this, and I don't know, but somebody, maybe the grasshopper comes up to the cockroach. I don't know. There's bugs involved. And anyway, the 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 one that's not in command, the second in command comes up, and then the, the head bug talks about every problem is his problem. Hmm. I think I messed that up pretty badly. <laughs> but I think – I think, yeah, go ahead. I think the point – Perhaps the point we're making is that you and I take a responsibility, leadership responsibility for conflict to quite a broad and large extent, more than most people would. Yes. Essentially, I think what we're saying, if there's conflict in your environment, you have some responsibility for it, whether you're directly involved in creating it or not. Yeah. yeah. And that can be a bit of a bitter pill to swallow, I think, for some leaders, depending on how they look at it. Because I, you know, for me, responsibility isn't about blaming myself, actually. It's more about, oh, you know, I have, I have a responsibility to continue to inquire with curiosity around this. What could be, and I think the leaders we've really enjoyed working with, and there's been a few really wonderful leaders we've had the opportunity to work with, they've got that kind of mindset. It's like, oh, there's a conflict. It's okay. It might be three levels down below me, as it were. But what does that say about the organization? What does that say about what's required for our system? You know, and, and that's an exciting conversation. Um, maybe I'll just say a few words about power eh, in general. Just the, the philosophy around power that we're promoting is that um, people tend to think of power as authority, but power can be built from a lot of different ways through relationships with others, through more knowledge, through determination, through personal development, through knowledge of how to have a conversation, through preparation. Those are just some of the ways, and there are others as well. One of the things we're really talking about here when we talk about build power is build your comfort, right? Your level of security and comfort for going into the conversation, right? And that gets developed because you start to feel more, having more capacity to act in a way that will result in a better outcome, right? Sorry. Yeah, that's That's it. Yeah, yeah, good. Well, and I want to take that phrase you just said to build your comfort Mm -hmm. is a type of building your power. And I think the reason we thought about our second step in the model when Cindy was speaking, it's because she is all about helping people, coaching people or, or teaching people how to coach other people in having the difficult conversations or in coming to peace with oneself about not having the difficult conversation, you know, mm-hmm. but um, we really believe, Gord, you and I really believe that preparing for a difficult conversation is part of building your power, part of building your comfort. And so coaching fits in so beautifully there because coaching is somebody else helping you build your power. Mm-hmm. You said something really significant there that I think might strike a listener may be slightly confusing. So I just want to go back to it. And that's yeah, because you said coach someone to not have the conversation or be comfortable not having it right. So I think it's important to just mention that we're not saying you should always in 100% of cases have the conversation, right? Because you're holding the possibility that on occasion, it may be better not to. But I think what we're saying is that there are generally much more conversations, difficult conversations that people should be having that they're not having than ones they're having that they shouldn't be having, although there might be a few of those as well. Well, and you know, and I think that's the tricky thing, a really tricky thing, Gord, because I'm certainly not advocating, and I think you're not advocating that every negative thought that comes into your mind and every little irritation that you can think of about the other person is something you can you should speak with them about. One of the things Bernie Mayer says about that 
is that if we did that, life would be chaos, right? If we dealt with every internal conflict or even every conflict that we have with other people, it's not tenable. It's not possible. No. And so there are always choices. To yeah. And Bernie Mayer, if that, if you're interested in knowing more about Bernie, we had the opportunity to interview him in season one. You can just go to our website and search Bernie Mayer and he'll pop up. Um, He's an academic author practitioner in, in the field of a real leader. And there are not that many who combine those three things, being a good writer, an academic and a practitioner. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Lovely. So, um, yeah, I just want to come back to that for a minute, that it can be really challenging to make the discernment about, you know, what is it that, do, you know, do I want to invest in having this and bringing up this conversation? And I don't know if it's true or it's an old wives' tale or substantiated with research, but we apparently, out of the various thoughts that flip through our mind in any given day, the high majority of them are actually negative thoughts. So if there's any truth that uh, that, which I've heard multiple times over the years, then we definitely don't want to be sharing all the flotsam and jetsam that floats around in our head. You know, I know for me, one of the ways I make my discernment is if I'm perseverating on something, I'm finding that this topic is coming back to me time and again, cyclically, and or I'm getting a somatic, a bodily reaction to something those are two, or, or the third marker, I'm talking to somebody else about it. A loved one, a not so loved one, whomever. Um, those three are markers for me that, oh, I've got to pay attention here. There's something stuck inside of me. And it doesn't necessarily mean even that I am going to have the conversation yet, but I do need to have the conversation with myself. I do need to mm -hmm. attend to this. I think there's another one too, and that is just if it's impactful, right? If it's highly impactful. Say more. What do you mean, highly? Well, to you, well, if it's about, you know, if it's about something like losing, not losing money, or it's about a broken relationship that matters to you, or not having as good a holiday as you could, you know, those are fairly significant things in your life, then you want to seriously consider having the conversation, I think. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Don't you? Well, I guess I'm I'm filtering it through somebody we both know and love who was mentioning recently as a coworker colleague who was mentioning how she can filter and decide how important she's going to allow that to be for her. So, you know, it is all part of the mix. Like uh, can I let it go because I think whatever we choose as a couple is going to be okay for a holiday or you know what I mean? There is a certain level of discernment. Yeah, but if it's going to be, if you can let go and it's going to be okay, then you've dealt with Correct. it. Correct. Right? Correct. <laughs> yeah. But a yeah. lot of times I think we are letting it go and dealing with it. And then the resentment builds up because we're actually not in touch with what our true desires are. Right. Then one might say that you haven't really let go of it, right? Correct. So, Correct. Like like everything, there's complexity. Right? Yes. Every, everything in human relationships. Well, and that comes back to our tendency to avoid, to numb out, to not be really in touch with our true deepest desires. So it isn't so much, let's use the holiday. It's not so much that I really want to go to camp outside the city this weekend, yeah. per se. Mm -hmm. it, the, my deeper desire might be that I want to connect significantly with that other person. So I don't want to get lost in forcing the camping trip. But does that mean I really want to let go of my deeper desire, which is to connect in a meaningful way with this person? No, I don't want to let go of that, you know? And so if they say no to that request, can I circle back and express and explore those deeper desires? 
which is kind of getting us into another part of our engagement model. So I'll track out of that, out of developing understanding, unless you want to add something and we can get it back on track. No, I'm wondering if there's more to say about conflict, given the context, or if we should move on to the next one. That's what I'm thinking. I know. Yeah, yeah, let's move Sorry. on. Yeah, so we can finish up with this second, it's the second aspect of our own model, build your power and move to the third and last one that we were thinking of talking about today. Yeah? Yeah. Let's just add, though, if you were to take our course, you would learn more about different ways of building power. Yeah. Different ways of building power and also developing understanding, which is the one I was just hinting at when we were talking about the holiday. But yeah, for sure, there's more under each to find your motivation, build your yeah. power, and this third one too. Right. Okay, so three, set it up well. Set it up well. So Cindy talked about um, in her work as a conflict coach, what she what, what a significant thing that she does is she helps people understand, you know, what their triggers actually are, you know, and, and, and where they're coming from and what they can do differently. And she's actually identified some trigger patterns to help people with that. And um, yeah, it reminded us of a component of what we talk about in setting it up well around self-management. And one of the things we talk about is that there's a, uh, a very intimate and dynamic connection between your emotional nature and your mind with your body, the soma, right? Somatic. And so, and when you become triggered, it's not just a, an emotional and a mental response, it's a physiological response as well. And the physiology is often or can be a more effective way of self-management by putting attention using your mind, mind you, but putting attention on the physiology. And you you lead people through a really great exercise. Mm-hmm. You wanted to say a few words about it or mm-hmm. say something about it? Yeah, I will. Yeah. Oh, sorry. No, that's okay. Yeah. 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 What I was going to say is, um, and I'll tell you about the exercise in a minute, but just by way of a context, um, building on what you're saying, Gord, there's, unless I am conscious that my body is having a reaction, that my heart, like really our emotions we feel in our body, unless I realize that my heart rate is increasing or the palms of my hands are sweating or clenching my jaw, my, unless I'm in touch with those markers in some way, I don't know if I have much of an opportunity to self-manage. And, you know, I really got in touch with that, Gord, when I wrote the book with Judy Zare, um, Hold On to Yourself. That was a two or three year exploration about emotions in the body. And this exercise that I do, I stumbled across because of indirectly through Judy, but it was um, through Daniel Siegel, who is a psychiatrist and uh, does a lot of work in the mind and body areas. But it's a yes, no exercise where people have an opportunity to notice what happens automatically to their bodies and to our minds when we say one simple word, which we won't go through the whole exercise, but essentially it's exploring what happens to us when we are in what um, we're now coining the no state, which is not a particularly helpful state to be in, as most of us know, a closed down, defensive, contracted state, becoming more familiar with our unique no states. So we are more aware of them to self-manage and breathe and feel our feet and all that. Versus the yes state, which is where we want to be in when if we want to set up the conversation well, you know, how can we move ourselves in there and how can we plan to help ourselves and the other person be in that state more than if we hadn't planned for that? There's one, maybe one other aspect to add 
to just a, a little bit of understanding around how being physically aware can help you with your emotions because by putting attention on the physiology whether it's a sensation or whether you're just injecting a metaphoric kind of understanding like feeling your feet on the ground taking breaths that what you're actually you're in your it enables you to actually dissipate the physiological side of the emotion the physical side of the emotion the side of the emotion that's in your body and by doing that it also dissipates the emotional the purely emotional mental side of it as well mm -hmm. so. mm -hmm. which is so important because then it puts you in a more resourced state if you try to deal with it on the level of the pure emotion it's harder right you're angry and you want to say oh you know gordon stop being angry i don't want to be angry anymore right that's that's hard. That's I mean, you can do it, but it takes quite a lot of presence and willpower, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas it's easier for me to go, okay, where am I feeling the anger in my body? Okay, I'm feeling it in my gut or whatever. Okay, so feel that and then can take attention off whatever I'm angry about. And then by feeling the physiology, the physical part of it, it starts to dissipate. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, when you were saying that, Gordon, sorry, were you going to add? Nope. Yeah, well, I was, I was just going to say when you were saying that, that what, what came to me is, you know how powerful it is when we acknowledge another person's emotions. Okay, I've seen it, whether I do it or I see it in the classroom when I'm working with students, how the physiology just completely relax when you can acknowledge somebody's feelings. And I'm just realizing when you are describing the moment where we turn our attention to ourselves and say, hey, okay, where, where am I feeling? And in a way, you're acknowledging your feelings because they're in your body. So you're acknowledging yourself. You're giving yourself validation. It reflects back to the power too, right? Because it's empowering. It is. To be able to manage yourself into a state where you'll be more effective and get to an outcome that's going to work better for you and for the other party. So yeah, one of the things that's occurring to me, Gordon, around setting it up well, I have a friend who practices mindfulness meditation. And around Christmas time, she and I had an important, difficult conversation. And I remember being so struck by her in the middle of the conversation saying to me, you know what, I need a minute here. And I just sat back and watched her ground her feet on the ground, close her eyes and breathe deeply. Like basically she went into a meditation with me sitting there looking at her and it was amazing. She came back, she was more centered and her taking the time allowed me to center myself and it was brilliant. So I just wanted to say that the, the impact of coming from a resource place is so important. So that's all I wanted to say about setting it up well. Uh, just one more thing I'll, I'll add is um, you can do this quickly also, right? Because we're talking about it here as if it's a little bit of a slow process where it might take five seconds or 20 seconds or something like that. But you can actually also do it within a second or two. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Maybe not as thoroughly, or, yeah. but you can. it can be useful in managing yeah. yourself in yeah. very short periods of time. Yeah. And you can invite, you know, your partners or friends to help remind you as things are getting tight, you know, hey, you want to check in with, shall we check in with our bodies, you know, and just calm down a bit. So important. Okay, so friend, I think we've, we've, we've ridden this wave that was really about uh, our stimulus was the opportunity to chat with Cindy and to hear some of her balmont. She had many, many good things to say. And we decided we wanted to um, weave some of her comments into the first three components of our own difficult conversations model, which I think we've done. And I don't know if there's anything else you want to say by way of signing off, Gord. I mean, I guess I just want to say I hope people found something helpful 
here in the uh, in the conversation. The first three steps of that model are find your motivation, build your power and set it up well. Thank you so much. Bye bye for now. Bye for now. If you love this episode of On Conflict, then help us out by subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes. And you can spread these big ideas too by sharing on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, wherever you show up online. Want to know more about us? Check out our website, onconflictpodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening. Now, go make the world a better place.